are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked on Seahawks. Happy Thursday to all of our listeners. As always, thanks for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Going to be answering your mailbag questions in our weekly mailbag. Also going to take a close look at the one player that I believe has a decent chance of being franchise tagged. Why John Schneider should be considering that option with this one particular free agent. And then our four hosts covering the four remaining teams left in the NFL playoffs will be dishing out their preview for this weekend's championship weekend in the NFL playoffs. Now for your lead story here on Locked on Seahawks. We've still got about a month and a half until the start of free agency, but since there's only four playoff teams left, just three games left on the 2021 schedule, that start of the new league year is going to get here very quickly, especially once those games are wrapped up. Free agency will be here before you know it. So teams that aren't in the playoffs, even teams that are still in the playoffs, are already at work trying to figure out which players they're going to try to resign, which players they're going to let go. They're looking at potential trades, free agents from other teams. All that offseason business is already underway. And Rob Rang and I talked about this some on Tuesday. John Schneider, historically, the general manager for the Seahawks, has opted against using franchise tags and transition tags. And he's never used a transition tag, has only used the franchise tag twice, kicker Alindo Mare, his first year on the job. And then back in 2019, used it on Frank Clark before trading him to the Kansas City Chiefs, never played another down for the Seahawks after being tagged. They did try to agree to terms on an extension, weren't able to reach an agreement. So the Seahawks decided to move him to get some draft picks and that helped them get some decent players in the 2019 draft. But nonetheless, there have been times the Seahawks certainly would have liked to have that pass rusher. Looking at the present though, Rob and I broke down all the players that could potentially be franchise tagged for the Seahawks this off season. And most players, the financial figure is way above what the Seahawks would be willing to pay. 16 plus million for Dwayne Brown to come back at the age of 37. That's not going to happen. Rashad Penny at over $12 million, even though he played outstanding in the month of December, was the best running back in football, arguably, the last five weeks of the season. He's had tons of injuries. You're not going to be investing that kind of money to bring him back either. There is one player, though, and the more that I've thought about it, it makes a lot of sense to franchise tag him. That is safety Quandre Diggs. To me, easily head and shoulders above the rest of Seattle's free agents. And that's not a slight to guys like DJ Reed, who I think are very important to re-sign. But in this particular defensive scheme that Pete Carroll runs, yeah, they're running more two deep safety looks. At least they did last season. But having that free safety that can play center field is critical for Pete Carroll's scheme. And I wouldn't be shocked if they're going to more cover one, cover three looks again next season, depending on who the new defensive coordinator is. We've seen what happens when the Seahawks don't have a playmaker back there at that free safety position. The Seahawks tried to move on from Earl Thomas and go with Tedrick Thompson. That experiment was a unmitigated disaster. Thompson didn't even last more than half a season before he's an injured reserve. They traded for Quandre Diggs, and he's just been fantastic for the last two and a half seasons. One of the best free safeties in the game. I thought he was a all-pro snub. He did get some votes, made the Pro Bowl team, but... 
would have liked to see him at least be a second-team All-Pro. He was that good for the Seahawks this season, led them with five interceptions. He has 10 interceptions the last two seasons, which is tied for the most by any safety in the NFL, along with Justin Simmons of the Denver Broncos. That's elite company. That's the kind of playmaker that we're talking about here. Now, the hesitation for the Seahawks, and it's understandable, they just gave Jamal Adams a four-year deal for $70 million, more than $17 million per year. Highest paid safety in the NFL. You don't necessarily want to give another big long-term deal to another safety. The Seahawks did pay Cam Chancellor and Earl Thomas big bucks when they were starring for the Legion of Boom. So this is a position that they have prioritized when it comes to spending their money over the years. But still, when you get $17 million per year invested already in Jamal Adams, you can understand maybe why there's a bit of hesitancy from John Schneider in the front office and maybe why they didn't extend digs before this last season. There's a hesitancy to giving him a big contract. And Quandre Diggs, without a doubt, in my opinion, is a top 10 safety. Like I said, I felt he was snubbed in all pro voting as one of the four best safeties in the league. So if he's going to be wanting that type of money, if he's wanting top 10 safety money per year, that's $11.25 million minimum. John Johnson with the Cleveland Browns, he signed with them last season. And so that would be the minimum if Quandre Diggs is looking at that type of money, which he's absolutely earned. That would mean next year and the year after that, the Seahawks are looking at close to $30 million invested in their safety position alone. When you consider Bobby Wagner's got that bloated $20-plus million salary cap hit this year, we'll see what they choose to do with that situation. As we talked about earlier this week, that could be a real dilemma for the Seahawks with one of their all-time greats. And then Russell Wilson, his cap hits above $30 million, $37 million to be exact, this next season. So you'd be talking four players taking up 35% of your salary cap, and that's not completely out of the ordinary. There are some teams out there that have very high-priced quarterbacks that have four or five players that eat up that large of a chunk of their salary cap. But a lot of times it's four players at different positions. You'd have two safeties out of those four players. So, again, you can understand the hesitancy, but – Several of you on Twitter brought this up on social media. You know, maybe Marquise Blair could fill in for a season if we could just keep him healthy, or maybe Ugo Amadi. Maybe they have somebody in-house. This is a deep safety class coming in in the draft. Yeah, you can consider all those possibilities, or you can avoid rolling the dice and stick with your 29-year-old safety that's in the prime of his career that's been one of the best in the league the last couple of years and has earned a big contract. Again, I can understand why John Schneider and the front office might be skeptical about giving that kind of money to Quandre Diggs. But this is one of your most important players on either side of the football, not just for his on-field production, but his leadership. There's a reason that his teammates and players around the league were so emotionally shook by his injury that he suffered in that season finale. This is a well-respected football player in all league circles. He's much more respected in the NFL circles than it appears that he is from the people that do the voting for all pros and things of that nature. He's one of the best safeties in the league, and the rest of the league seems to know that. The other teams know that. Other players know that. And he's just an outstanding leader in the locker room. I look at the $13.5 million salary cap hit with a franchise tag for him, and I think that that is a – very expensive contract for a second safety. But at the same time, again, the caliber player we're talking about here, 
He's put together an impressive past five seasons. He's been one of the most reliable ball hawking safeties in the NFL. He's tied for second among safeties with two interceptions returned for a touchdown over the last couple of years. He has been able to make big plays on a consistent basis, and that's just something that's invaluable in Pete Carroll's defense, and really any defense, that you want to have a free safety that can make plays in the football, especially for a defense that didn't make many turnovers away from him last year. They just can't afford to roll the dice here. Should the fan base really be confident in the front office's ability to find a quality replacement in the draft, especially when they don't have a first-round pick and they only have six selections? To me, that is a risk that can be avoided here. And even if you franchise tag Diggs, I don't think it would be done under the assumption that he's going to play on it. It would be to extend their negotiating window beyond the March 8th deadline. That's when teams have to franchise or transition tag players. After that, they can't do it anymore right before the start of the league year. If they get to mid or early March and they have not been able to agree to terms on a long-term deal with him, they absolutely should be using the franchise tag so that they can extend that window and try to knock out a three or four year extension with him so that ultimately he can finish up his career, come close to finishing up his career in Seattle, a place that he has really blossomed in the secondary for the Seahawks. That's what I think would ultimately play out there. This would be one of those tactics where the Seahawks would be using the franchise tag just to give themselves more time to talk with their safety, knock out that long-term deal that's going to have a lower cap hit most likely than what that franchise tag tender would. That is what both sides would be pushing for. Quandre Diggs would want that long-term security. He wants to be paid like a top 10 safety. The Seahawks can provide that. And yeah, that's a lot of money at the safety position, but it's one of your most invaluable players on defense. He's one of your best players, period. It'd be a huge loss to see him go to another team. And Maybe his injury that he suffered, he's coming off surgery for a dislocated ankle and fractured fibula. Maybe that lowers his value a little bit in the free agent market. Maybe the fact that there is a good safety class coming in in this draft class, maybe that influences how teams spend money at the safety position. But I don't think the Seahawks would be smart to take the risk and cross their fingers hoping that that's what happens and they can get him back at a cheaper rate. I just don't see that happening with a player of his caliber. The injury wasn't as bad initially anticipated either without ligament damage. He's expected to make a full recovery in time for training camp. I expect there is going to be a market for him. John Schneider, his goal should be to prevent other teams from having a chance at signing Quandre Diggs. And if that means you got to franchise tag him first before getting a long-term deal, then you absolutely do it. I don't think they want that $13.5 million cap hit for next season, but you wouldn't have to. You can negotiate that new contract with your star safety after you franchise tag him. Hopefully you don't have to go down the Frank Clark road again here and trade him away, but you can get that multi-year deal to keep him in Seattle and keep one of your best players so that you have a chance to bounce back in 2022. Going to be answering your questions here in a moment, our weekly Locked on Seahawks mailbag segment. You guys need to check out this incredible app for everyone who buys gas, it's called Get Upside. My listeners are earning cash back for every gallon of gas every time they fill up. Just download the free Get Upside app in the App Store or Google Play right now and use the promo code TOUCHDOWN for $0.25 cents per gallon or more on your first fill up. That's automatic cash back. Don't pay full price of the pump anymore. Get cash back using Get Upside. Download the app for free and use the promo code TOUCHDOWN for $0.25 cents per gallon on your first tank. 
Some people who drive a lot are making as much as two to $300 a year in cash back, and there's no catch. The cash back gets added right to your account. You can cash out anytime at your bank account, PayPal, or even e-gift cards for places such as Amazon and other brands. Download the free GetUpside app and use the promo code TOUCHDOWN to get $0.25 cents per gallon on your first take. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Thursday edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. The Peacock and Williamson NFL show is hitting the road. They're heading to Los Angeles for Super Bowl week. Make sure to follow the Peacock and Williamson NFL show today to get the most comprehensive coverage of the big game. It's free and it's available on all platforms. As we do once a week in the offseason, it's a little bit fluid which day of the week that we choose to do this, but Thursday ended up being the day that our mailbag fell for this week on the agenda. I'm looking forward to the chance here to answer your questions. Got a ton of questions on social media. Again, if I don't get to your question today, my apologies with our show being a certain length every time. We only can fit so many questions in. So I try to answer as many as I can. So without further ado, let's get to it. First question coming from David Hall tweets, are the Seahawks able to trade Bobby Wagner? And if they are, what type of compensation do you think they can get for him? So we kind of touched on this a little bit on Monday's show when we were looking at the dilemma the Seahawks face with the salary cap hit that Bobby Wagner has right now, $20.35 million in 2022. That's extremely expensive for a non-quarterback, especially when you're talking about a linebacker that's going to turn 32 years old, has shown some signs of decline, particularly in the athleticism department over the past couple of seasons. Still a very solid linebacker as evidenced by his second-team All-Pro selection. But I think that that cap hit by itself would make it extremely difficult for the Seahawks to be able to trade him and to get anything back in return. And that's not knocking Bobby Wagner. Again, I think he's still a very solid player, and he could help a number of teams in the NFL. But at that price point, other teams are not going to be jumping through hoops trying to trade for him at his age, $20.35 million, not happening. If somehow there was a restructure and they could move him, then maybe you can get a you know third-round pick or fourth-round pick. I just don't see teams with his age and the fact that he now appears to be heading into the regression stage of his career, already is in the regression stage of his career, I don't see teams wanting to throw very much draft capital to Seahawks to get him. So I still view this as a situation where Bobby Wagner is either with the Seahawks next year or they wind up cutting him as a cap casualty. To me, the trade option is pretty much off the table because of that salary cap hit and his age. I just don't see teams really jumping at the door trying to find a way to trade for him at this point with that cap number. It's just not going to happen. Jerry Sweet tweets, should the Seahawks be a little more realistic with how the season ended? Seems they may not have played that well if Penny doesn't run for almost 200 yards a game. So I'm going to just say this. Uh, how else are the Seahawks supposed to react to the way the season ended? Obviously, Pete Carroll has expressed his disappointment with the 7-10 and 10 record, but they did win four of their last six games. And yeah, the run game was a big part of that, but I think Pete Carroll would tell you any time that we are – in a stretch where we won a bunch of games like that, we hope that the run game is part of it. It gave them that balanced offensive approach that, quite frankly, they weren't able to achieve for a good chunk of the season. And when your quarterback's hurt on top of that and doesn't play well upon his return for several games, the offense was just awful. It was, it was pathetic most of the season. 
it did not live up to the expectations going into the first year for Shane Waldron as the coordinator. And there were factors at play like those injuries and the fact that the offensive line struggled to gel. There were some injuries up front. Running back room had a bunch of injuries. Chris Carson goes down. Rashad Penny missed most of the first half of the season with injuries. Alex Collins got banged up. So really health, the durability factor was a big piece of the puzzle here. So I don't think the Seahawks were sugarcoating things at the end of the year. Certainly they played some bad football teams down the stretch and they lost to a bad football team, the Chicago Bears. So I don't think you're going to hear Pete Carroll say, well, we're a Super Bowl contender now, but you can understand why he was so optimistic coming out of that season finale when they were able to handily beat the Arizona Cardinals. And the week before, they played a Lions team that was much better than their record indicated, and they scored 50 points in that game. So they were able to end things on the right no. And I don't think there's anything wrong with them looking back at that last five or six games and feeling optimistic about how things played out because Russell Wilson started to play more like we're accustomed to seeing. They got the run game going. The defense was, was good enough with the way the offense was playing four games with 30-plus points, I think that the optimism is somewhat warranted. This is obviously a team that needs to add players around Russell Wilson and the rest of their key starters. They need to add talent if you want to compete in the NFC West. Nobody's going to say that that doesn't need to happen. But this was a team that did hit its stride at the end of the season and started to show what it could be next season. So I don't think that they have been overly optimistic coming out of this year. Blake Reynolds tweets, is this the offseason the Seahawks change and tweak their philosophy and reprioritize the offensive and defensive lines to get playmakers? Well, Blake, you know, it's funny. I was working on an article this morning. I still haven't found a way to finish it because, quite frankly, I got to about the third paragraph and I thought, this feels like I already wrote this story. Oh, wait, I did. The last three offseasons, I have been waiting for John Schneider to turn a new leaf, and maybe this is just the latest sign it's not going to happen for the sake of Seahawks fans. Hopefully it does this year after they had a bad year. But I've been thinking the last couple off-seasons, change your approach. Instead of trying to get a bunch of lower-tier veteran free agents at cheap, go get a true difference maker. And there are going to be some guys potentially on the free agent market that can do that, including pass rushers, Von Miller, and Chandler Jones, yeah, they're past 30 years old, but still two very good pass rushers. You put those type of players with Carlos Dunlap and Daryl Taylor and Alton Robinson, and I think you'll see this pass rush be significantly better next year. Those are the type of splashy moves, though, that John Schneider has not been willing to make in free agency. They could have went out and got Corey Lindsley, the former Packers center last year. Yeah, he got paid more than $12 million per year by the Chargers, but – wouldn't you have rather seen the Seahawks do that than, you know, waste away some of their free agent dollars on players like Kerry Hyder or re-signing Benson Mayoa, and they got next to nothing out of those players? You'd rather try to get a surefire free agent signing a all-pro caliber player. That is something I've been arguing for several off-seasons, and yet the Seahawks have not done that. The only time they did was trading away multiple first-round picks to get Jamal Adams. That's not the free agency strategy where you're finding difference makers. So it'd be nice to see him turn a new leaf. We'll see. I think coming off of a disappointing year, I mean, John Schneider's been able to get away with those tactics in part because the Seahawks have kept making the playoffs. Since that didn't happen, maybe that's exactly what fans had been hoping for. And then maybe that will change the way that John Schneider and the front office approach things. Maybe they'll actually go out and get some legitimate game changers 
in the trenches, particularly addressing the pass rush, because it looks like there could be a promising free agent group in that department. Jeff tweets, this is a really good question, Jeff. Do you get nervous when asking questions at a press conference? Does your stand-up comedy experience help make that process easier? Does adding humor to a question or during an interview help put the player coach at ease? So I'll just tackle these one question at a time. I, I get very nervous at press conferences. I always have. That's something it's gotten better. That I'll admit the first time that I did a press conference in person with Pete Carroll, that was that was a new experience. Like I was teaching in a classroom three months ago, and now I'm doing this. And it, it definitely was something that, you know, I – can't say I was necessarily prepared for, you know, uh, but over time I've gotten more comfortable now that I've been doing it for several years. But yeah, sometimes there are nerves, you know, when you're, when you're working with coaches and players in the NFL, I think a lot of reporters would say the same thing. As far as the second part of this question, the stand-up comedy experience, I wouldn't say that it's necessarily comparable when you're talking about being in a group asking questions to a coach, or if you're on stage by yourself in front of 150 people, that is still way more nerve wracking, especially if you're thinking in the back of your mind, I've really got to be funny or this could turn into a nightmare. I've been in that scenario before. I've had successful shows, a lot of successful shows. I've been at the other end of the spectrum though, where I wasn't on my game that night and the crowd makes sure to let you know. So I think that those two things are not comparable. There's some nerves with asking questions, but it's, it is not the same as doing a stand-up in front of a bunch of people in a crowd. Those two totally different things. As far as the last part of that question, does adding humor during an interview help put the player or coach at ease? I'll admit, I usually try to split those two different careers that I've had apart. Not that I haven't mixed in some goofy questions before during my three plus years that I've been on the beat, but you're not going to catch me asking questions. I did a dub over with Yoda a few years ago. I didn't actually speak like Yoda in the real press conference. I did the dub over on it and posted it just so people could get a kick out of that. But I, you know, I'm not going to ask Pete Carroll after they, you know, botch a fourth down call. What are you doing? I'm not going to turn into Dr. Phil and ask him questions. Like I, it's just not the way that I do things, but I, you know, it's one of those things where I try to distance careers. I don't, I don't, I don't try to purposely talk like a bunch of different celebrities or do jokes when I'm interviewing players. I try to, I try to keep an easygoing demeanor, you know, occasionally might get a joke here and there with them, but most of the time I, I'm all business when I'm trying to work with players and coaches. And I think they appreciate that. And I know there's some players that I've worked with where, you feel like maybe I could get away with, you know, that more humorous side than you do with other players. You just have to have a feel out period when you're working with different types of people. And I, I think you can say that in a lot of different professions. Those are great questions. Appreciate it, Jeff. Last one coming here from Sonic's Lakers tweets. What do you think about DK's contract and what will it look like? I expect this is going to be a contract that's pushing that 20 million per year threshold because the type of talent we're talking about, and he's still only 24 years old, is coming off of a somewhat disappointing season under 1,000 receiving yards, but he was dealing with a foot issue most of the year. And the quarterback situation with Wilson being out three games and then struggling his first couple games back. When you consider those things, that's really a big part of why his numbers dipped the way that they did. He improved his drop numbers. 
I thought he was pretty effective a lot of time when he got the football. It just seemed like they went long spells where they weren't getting him the football, which was mind-boggling to me. But I expect that his agent's going to be pushing for that top five, top ten receiver money. And I don't know if they'll get that deal done this offseason. You would think that they would want to. The hot spot would be in late July, early August when the Seahawks report for camp. That tends to be when John Schneider gets a lot of his business done. You would think they would want to get him extended before the season starts. We're talking about a player of this caliber, but I can assure you that he is somebody the Seahawks do not want to lose. So they will pay that price point when you're talking about an elite receiver and you want to keep your quarterback happy who's been speculated for trade rumors. I think a way to keep him happy would to be keep those star players, those star receivers at his disposal. So I think Metcalf, that's going to be one of their top priorities. They do have cap space. They got to make sure they tab some of that so they can sign him as he enters the final year of his rookie deal. Coming up next, our local Locked On Podcast Network experts from the four remaining teams. They're still in the NFL playoffs. They're going to be weighing in on their thoughts going into what should be a very exciting championship weekend. You get the 49ers and the Rams, an NFC West matchup with a Super Bowl bid on the line. And then in the other conference, the Kansas City Chiefs trying to get back to the Super Bowl for a third straight year against the upstart Cincinnati Bengals. I'm really excited about both these games and looking forward to hearing what our four Locked On experts have to offer up in our preview of this weekend's championship games. BetOnline would like to wish you a very happy new betting year as we continue our march to the playoffs and beyond. BetOnline remains the number one spot for all the best sports wagering action for 2022. It's a new year, and they've got a new updated desktop and mobile website. So sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use the promo code LOCKEDON to get started from football, basketball, hockey, boxing, and UFC right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for 2022. BetOnline's the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports. BetOnline where the game starts. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Thursday edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Thanks, as always, for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. The Super Bowl is just around the corner. So without further ado, our four hosts here on the Locked On podcast network from the four teams left in the NFL playoffs are going to dish out their thoughts in our Locked On podcast network NFC and AFC Championship preview, courtesy of Locked On Now. Take a listen. Coming up, Championship Sunday is just days away, and we've got to punch two tickets to the Super Bowl. Who will serve as the reigning AFC and NFC champions for the year to come? We'll find out what each team still standing needs to do to earn a conference title on Locked On Now NFL. The biggest games, the best performances, expert analysis. You are locked on now. You're listening to Locked On Now NFL, local experts on the biggest stories throughout the NFL. I'm your host, Kim Becker, and thanks so much for making Locked On Now your first listen every weekday. Our Locked On NFL hosts are here to look ahead to the NFC and AFC championship games. Let's start where these teams are trying to get to Los Angeles, SoFi Stadium. They will host the Super Bowl in two weeks, but first, the Rams have to host the 49ers for the NFC crown. The Biggest Game. 
San Francisco 49ers fans don't know if Jimmy Garoppolo will be their starting quarterback next season, but they do know that he'll be under center to try to win his second NFC Championship game in three years against the Rams on Sunday. With a chance to remain undefeated against the NFC in the postseason, our Locked On 49ers host says the key to a San Francisco victory is Jimmy G not making the big mistakes that could cost the Niners the whole game. What's good, everybody? It's your boy, former NFL and AFL defensive back Eric Crocker, and I am one half of the Locked On 49ers crew here to give you your 49ers main key to victory as they travel to Levi South and take on the Los Angeles Rams in the NFC Championship game. All right, I, I think this this game it begins and ends with the play of Jimmy Garoppolo. Now, if I had to give just one main key victory here, it's Jimmy G, don't turn the ball over. And if you do, just limit it. So right now, 49ers, the way I see it, Jimmy G, one turnover. That's all we're giving you, just one. Anything more than that, it would be trouble for the San Francisco 49ers. All right, so that's going to do it, man. I hope you guys appreciate that. Make sure you guys listen to our show as well, Locked On 49ers, the best show on the Locked On Network podcast. Let's go, 49ers, win this game this Sunday. Matthew Stafford picked up his first playoff win just a couple of weeks ago, and now he's a win away from playing the biggest football game on the planet in the Rams' home stadium. Our Locked On Rams host tells you how L.A. gets the veteran QB to the Super Bowl he's chased for 12 whole seasons. Hey, it's Travis Rogers from Locked On Rams. So here is the one key to victory this weekend for the Rams in the NFC Championship game against the San Francisco 49ers. Remember when you used to play with matches as a kid and maybe you'd get away with it once in a while and a couple of weeks, months, years later, you realize how bad of an idea that was that you could have burned the whole house down? That was the Rams in Tampa against the Bucks. They were playing with matches. They turned it over way too many times. Four turnovers in that game. Somehow they escaped. Somehow they beat Tom Brady despite turning it over four different times. If they're going to beat the Niners, they simply cannot do that. They might be able to get away with one. Two is probably the end of the wrap. And anything more than that, it is absolutely not going to happen for you there. You can check out more about the Los Angeles Rams on my podcast, Locked on Rams, part of the Locked on Podcast Network. It is free and available on all platforms, your team, every day. The Kansas City Chiefs played the Cincinnati Bengals just a few weeks ago at the end of the regular season, and since he won. So how do the Chiefs make sure that that doesn't happen again with a trip to the Super Bowl on the line? Our Locked on Chiefs says a combination of learning from the mistakes of that game and keeping the momentum going from last week will add up to a big win. But he has more on the details. The AFC Championship game comes down to two things for the Kansas City Chiefs. Can Patrick the Reaper Mahomes continue his run as we saw against the Bills? And can the Chiefs defense and its staff learn its lesson from the last time they played the Cincinnati Bengals? I'm Ray Tracy from Locked On Chiefs, and that's what it comes down to. You saw an extraordinary effort by the offense, Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill, to not only get to overtime, but then win it. They don't need to do that. They have to avoid it, in fact, in order to get this win against a team that is nearly as explosive. On the other side, you have to be careful if you're Steve Spagnuolo or anyone out there on the field on the defensive side of the ball to not overreact to what you saw the last time when Jamar Chase destroyed that secondary on a circus catch after circus catch. Tyron Matthews should be back and playing in this ballgame. That helps. 
you have to adjust and you have to play over the top and you have to try to take Chase and limit him. Not take him away because then you're devoting too many other resources to that and someone else is going to hurt you. I think they're going to play more zone. I think they have to back off and let Joe Mixon hurt them if he can. They'll live with that and that will get them the win. For more on this game and your Chiefs, check out Locked On Chiefs. We're free on every platform. We're part of Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Joe Burrow took a beating last week as he fought his way into the AFC Championship game. And while Cincinnati does already have a win against Kansas City under its belt this season, our Locked On Bengals host says that the team can't get a second one if it doesn't keep its quarterback on his feet. Will the Bengals take down the Chiefs on Sunday in Kansas City in advance to the Super Bowl? Hi again, everyone. I'm James Rapine of the Locked On Bengals podcast. And that is the question going into this epic AFC championship game between two teams that played each other this month. They played each other on January 2nd at Paul Brown Stadium. The Bengals came out victorious 34-31, to overcoming three different 14-point deficits. I expect Sunday to be a different story. The Bengals can't fall behind against this Chiefs team by two scores and expect a rally on the road. But the number one key, protect Joe Burrow. Burrow was sacked nine times last week against the Titans. He was hit 13 times. And yeah, the offense had 19 points. Well, 19 points isn't going to cut it against Patrick Mahomes. The magic number, 40. If they can somehow get to 40, you feel good about their chances. How do they do that? They keep Joe Burrow upright. If they do that, he can distribute the ball to all of his weapons, including Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, and Tyler Boyd in the Bengals just might sneak in to the Super Bowl. For more, make sure you check out the free and the only daily Bengals podcast, Locked On Bengals, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. That's a wrap for us here. Thanks so much for making Locked On Now your first listen every day. For more on the National Football League and your team, make your second listen, Locked On NFL and your team's Locked On Podcast. I'm Kim Becker. This has been Locked On Now, Locked On your team every day. If you want more from the Locked On Now podcast, you can download for free on all major platforms. It's also streamable on YouTube as well. You can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. Coming up tomorrow on our Blue Friday episode here on Locked On Seahawks, I'll be joined by my co-host Nick Lee. The two of us will be dishing out our picks for offensive, defensive, and special teams play of the year for the Seahawks in 2021 and continuing free agent Friday We'll be taking a look at our first positional group of outside free agents who might interest the Seahawks as we head closer to the start of the new league year. You won't want to miss it. Thanks for listening in. Enjoy the rest of your Thursday. Go Hawks.